My name is uh, Edwin Brice. I'm working for the Belgian radio and television uh, since 1972, something like that. Uh, I'm retired now. And at a certain moment, I started to make radio documentaries, but without knowing what it was. But I was fascinated by this strange mixture of uh, sound and silence and spoken word uh, and, and music and what the mixture could give as an uh, from 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 this assembly. Uh, then little by little, I, I I started to know what it was, and then I became head of the feature department and radio drama. Um, but uh, it has been a discovery, really, uh, to, dis to discover the intimacy of the medium radio, the strength of the human voice, and another element which is so important, it's the confrontation with someone else. Because when you talk radio, you talk to someone, or you talk about something, and this connection between intimacy and confrontation with people around you in the world have, uh, has been for me very essential. Mm -hmm. And why Simon Elves? What? Why Simon Elves? Why you mentioned just his name? Uh, you, you said Simon El, like, like with someone else. Someone else. Oh, it's, like, it's very funny. <laughs> because I was like, hmm. <coughs> Simon Elms, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, 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 like someone else, or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny how it could be kind of okay, yeah. yeah. The intimacy. Uh, what was the most intimate story you recorded, or how did you reach the biggest intimacy? It's a hard question. Look, looking back to to interviews I have done. I guess it might be Captain von Streip. He was a sea captain. On how do you call it? On the long shore, the, the, the very, very uh, long, long trips. And uh, he had an extreme discipline on board. He was the boss of, of perhaps uh, 100 or 110 uh, people. And one day, of course, like all those seamen, once they were in a the harbor, they get out and they got two bars and to drink. But this was a real gentleman, and he got to the Opera of Paris. And uh, he immediately fell in love with the lady who was singing Carmen, Carmen Puiset. And the man had so much style, you know. He had a, a little visitor's car. Uh, Captain von Streip with the picture of the boat and so on, and he delivered something like 48, I don't know, 48 roses to her loge. And then the captain was invited and said it was the, the start of a, a love story and she came with us on the boats and she was the only woman. He said, can you imagine all those people there in big storms and she was afraid of nothing, and she was standing in front of the ship singing uh, Carmen and other operas, and all the, the crew uh, adored her. 
So this was a man with such a glorious past. I find the man finally in an old people home in Brussels. And his task was to prepare the bread, ham and cheese bread, for all the old people of the home. And they asked him because they knew he had a discipline to that. Every day at six o'clock I get up to prepare. This was such a, a moving story in which you have all the glamour of the world and all the misery of the world and 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 uh, the intention to achieve something whatever you do so do you think that was the most powerful story you ever recorded well it it's one of the of the powerful ones other ones perhaps have never been recorded the the strongest story were never never on tape once i was in the united states in 1976 And it was the year of the bicentennial of the United States that exists since 200 years. So uh, I, I made a proposal to my directors and my project was an expensive one because I said I, have to, I want to go to New York, to Las Vegas, to the Grand Canyon, to San Francisco and Los Angeles. People said, but you are crazy, it will never be accepted. It was accepted. Okay, one day I was uh, in, in Los Angeles uh, for such a big trip, let's say that half of the appointments are made before and half come by surprise. One was by surprise. I was invited by a journalist of the Los Angeles newspaper to go to the premiere and the press conference of a young couple of ballet dancers. And, okay, they present me, and they come in. A beautiful young woman, blonde, a magnificent silhouette, pushing a wheelchair. And who was in the wheelchair? Groucho Marx, the one of the three Marx brothers. But he was completely crazy, and he was showed like a... like some big piece of cake, uh, just just for show. And the lady, uh, the, 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 the bombshell said, yeah, but you can interview him. I tried, but never came out. Or he gave silly answers. So sometimes very promising interviews are just coming too late. And he's uh, giving his last show, but also too late. How do you choose your topics for your interviews, or how did you do it? And in time, actually. <laughs> yeah. Not late. It's, it's very hard to look for a topic. It's a nightmare for every feature maker. I remember myself uh, having to prepare them, also having, or having to ask to people who worked with me a topic for next week. And there's something very wrong with a topic. Even that wrong that I ended up to go to the telephone book, to the yellow pages, where you have all the the, the craftsmanship, the skillsmen, the, 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 the carpenters, just to say the magicians. Could I find something there and there and there? Because in my mind I had the idea of a topic. Like nowadays, people would say uh, a topic for me would be 
refugees, uh, people getting bankrupt, uh, corruption, uh, political uh, influence where it is not needed, sexual abuse, all the big social themes of... Uh, so there's a big uh, appeal on us to talk about this. But often I said, that's not my first point. I want to hear a story first, a story. And in each story, good story, there will be a topic. But just f run into the topic first, like my job is done. And I have, uh, I have um, uh, agreed and I have performed uh, my social function in society because I have talked about the refugees. But a, a good story doesn't work like that. Some years ago, I was in the United States uh, at the Third Coast Festival, which is a big radio festival. And one event was a pitching event. What is pitching? Pitching is presenting a project to a boss or someone who can, who had the power to decide, okay, I will take your, your project or I will neglect it, I will refuse it. And like a joke, they said, it's like if you take an elevator in a big building and you have two or three minutes to be in the elevator with your boss, try to be as short as possible because time is limited, but as convincing as possible concerning the, fee, the, the, the topic, the character, the location, Tell him everything, but shortly, in three seconds. So this was a pitching session for, let's say, 100 people assisting to this seminar. First guy said, oh, I have an idea. I would like to go back to Sicily. My parents-in-law came from there a long, long time ago. I would like to know where I am coming from. I would like to discover my roots, to go to Sicily, discover the village where he lived, where they lived, the cemetery, the church, the school, where they went, where they, they went, and so on. And in front of the people who were pitching, were sitting five directors of different public radio stations, private radio stations, community radio stations. And one looked to the other, and <laughs> they all agreed, no, rejected. Why is it rejected? Yeah, but you have to realize, realize, young man, that in the States, everyone is coming from somewhere. Your parents might be might come from Greece, Italy, Portugal, um, I don't know, uh, Norway, Ireland. Why should your grandfather, for me, or your grand-grandfather, such an extraordinary person, that I want to hear this whole story. It's very, very, very common, and sorry, there's nothing, nothing to say about that. So for us, it's, it's, it's a no. Secondly, these types of stories has been presented to us 300 times a year. And then suddenly, um, <laughs> may, may I? Of course. <laughs> I think it's good for my voice what you brought. 
Berezhrovka. Becherovka. Ja, okay. <laughs> Then a second person raised her hand and she said, I have met in the United States a woman. She was Jewish. She had spent many years, many, uh, at least two years, in Poland during the Second World War. And, in fact, her life has been saved by a Polish family who offered her shelter and food, a roof, all these things. Uh, and at the end of the war, she could go back to the United States and have a comfortable life there. And it always had been, had been her dream to find back those gentle people of Poland who saved her life. Finally, there wasn't internet yet, after many, many letters and so on, she found trace of this family. And this family returned a letter to her. that, How good to have found you. We have thought of you also for many, many years. And it would be nice to be in contact again because uh, you owe us very much. And by that, the Polish family meant very much money. We have invested in you. We have saved you. It has cost, cost us a, a, a lot of slotties to, 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 to uh, pick you up in our family. Now time is there to restitute what you owe to, to us. Then you see here how interesting the, the topic becomes. You have the, 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 this uh, contradiction and this tension between uh, people who are supposed to be very charismatic, very free and offering all they have, and then at the end they want money back. And there you have the real tension that I expect to be in a feature or in a radio documentary. That's why this was a, a real strong story. And with a strong story, at the end you can say, well, this is about hypocrisy. This is about uh, exploitation. And then you will find the name of the topic easily. But it's better this way than say, I will make a program about exploitation because I'm very, very concerned about what's going wrong in the world and about bad people and, and that's my task. No, start with the story and you will get sooner to your topic than going straight to your topic. How should we recognize that the story is like strong and that's, that's enough for the feature? It's a very good question because it happens so much that people who want to start a documentary, they feel like, oh my God, this story is something special. And perhaps it's something special if you tell the story to someone in the bar late in the evening. Oh my God, that's strange. Wow, I didn't know that people like that existed. You you should write a book about that or, 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 or make a radio program about that. Yeah. Sometimes it's good enough to make a radio program, what we call a reportage of five minutes. But a longer story needs more. And there are some ways to get more 
out of a story. Even at the beginning, if the story doesn't seem that thrilling, and I was talking about this intimacy and uh, confrontation, I have one example where it helps um, in the EBU master school, which was just a master school for young, talented, young radio people in, in Europe. Uh, there was one young lady, Katie Burningham, from London. I happened to be her coach. Each one in the school has a coach for nine months. She said, I'm a I have a story, but I'm not quite sure it, it is strong enough. What is what is it about? Well, she said, last week I went to a flea market on Hackney. Hackney is part of London. And I met an old man looking for vinyl records of the 50s. Uh, vinyl uh, phonograph records. Now, wh wh why was that? Well, he was married to uh, a lady and after 50 years of mar marriage he wanted to offer her a big present something that she liked very very much and that was a cruise on the Queen Elizabeth that was her ultimate dream he said how to pay it so he was first he was a dance teacher in big hotels at that time, cha-cha-cha, rumba, waltz, uh, foxtrot. And he was also a DJ, how do you call it? DJ. Mm -hmm. he, he, he played music in, in, in big concert halls and, and cafes and so on. So, to get money, he sold all his uh, vinyl CDs. On the market, sold everything. And he sold his double turntable. His double turntable, yeah, for DJ. They made their trip. They were very happy. They came back. A few weeks later, his wife died. A few weeks after her death, the postman rings at the door and brings a big parcel in brown paper for him. He opens it. It was a new, brand new double turntable. Offered by Iris, Iris was the name of his wife, uh, ordered before her death, before, as a present for him. So he was there with his turntable, and I said, ah, I don't have any record anymore. So he went to the, to the, the flea markets to look for records, and there he met Katie. And then I discussed with Katie, yeah, it's, it's a strong story. But she hesitated. She said, yeah, but it's a story told by one person uh, looking back to the past. But what, what happens actually in my program? Not very much. Said, I said, are you able to dance? Oh, no, she said. When I had to dance at school, we had to play Annie, the musical, you know. And they put it me always at the back row. Because I was so clumsy. I couldn't take the rhythm and the measure and so on. So, ask, ask your old, old man, 83 years, Bob, the man of whom I'm talking, 83 years. He's a dance teacher. Ask him to learn you to dance. And then Bob said, yeah, wonderful idea. Uh, do you know the waltz? Oh, well, 
I will learn you the waltz. Tomorrow at 10 o'clock we start and we see how it goes up. And then this becomes a wonderful story. Why? And also dramatically, why? Because uh, Katie, who was just an interviewer, passive role, of course, listening carefully, but nevertheless, passive. She became suddenly uh, what we call a dramatis personae. She was part, she was a character, and she had her own story. Will she be able to to perform finally the waltz or not? Uh, and he, instead of looking back to his past life, he got a second youth. And the strange thing, 83 years, she, 25 years. And there was like a kind of obscure, unspoken, not very clear, sweet relationship between them. No more than that, not something to, to, to imagine what was not there, but very, very close, very warm. And then she was so clever. So you see, how to make from a normal story something which is stronger? This was, first of all, putting herself into the story, which makes that, that as a listener, you, you are really captured by that. And then secondly, this was very real, real uh, strong of her part, during the dancing sessions, they had little microphones on their chest. So uh, they speak about uh, left and right, and one, two, three, one, two, three, slow, slow, head above, uh, all, 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 all this uh, stuff. Um, and this was very lively. And then once the recordings were done, she went to the record studio with me. She said, now I will listen. But of course, she did. She was well prepared. She did it before. She listened to all the tapes, and, and she made her choices. I will need that and that and that. And she listened to that on the headphone. And then, on these recordings in which you heard the two voices, hymns, but also her voice, she gave comments. It's her voice on her voice. It's like a meta voice. It's like the moment, the first moment is the moment of action, dancing, action. The second moment is the moment of reflection. And she says, now I see him back in my mind. I see him back. I see his silhouette, his shadow on the wall when he turns, when he makes a big turn. One would say he's 25 years again. So this is full of of poetry and uh, so cleverly done. Uh, another example of uh, making... I was the coach of a young guy from Tallinn, Estonia. And first of all, we talk about a possible topic and subject. He said, I, I have a topic that might be interesting or a story. I know someone that is gay and he studied in London to become a priest. And he finished his studies in London and his dream was to work in Tallinn as a priest. And of course he needed for that the permission of the bishops. And then he said, by the way, I was talking to, to, to Melis, the, the student, he said, by the way, I'm gay also. <laughs> 
I don't care at all. Good luck with, uh, with your relationships and so on. Uh, but sometimes stories come from deep inside one. Then the young man coming back from London, the priest, was not, was not uh, allowed to become priest. And he started to work in a bank. In a bank. Very boring job. Money's giving stamps and so on. I said to me, this is what I often say to people, if I'm a coach or something like that. Ask people who are making a program to ask their main character about their agenda. My topic is uh, his problem with being gay and so on. Why do I need to know what he has to do tomorrow and, uh, and the day after? Ask. And then the young priest said, well, on Sunday I have a repetition. Repetition of what? Ah, I, I play music. What do you play? The viola. The viola. Alt braccia, alt viola. Yeah, and, and wh where do you play? In the church on, on Sunday at the big mass, 11 o'clock. Ah. Do they know who you are? No, I play incognito. I'm not allowed to, otherwise. I gave a. No, 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 no. no. no a gay viola player. That, 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 uh. But he played good enough to be able to play in the church and not too good to be too, too fancy or something. He said, yeah, but I'm not the only music uh, musician in the church. There's an organ player who plays with me. And he's also gay. My God, this is an incredible story. And it came all out because of asking them about their agenda. And then I had a good relationship with, 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 with uh, Melis. I said, what is the essence of your program now? If, if you could reduce it to one word. It's about the secret, in fact. Ah. Absolutely not secret. How do you talk about the secret? Are you shouting? Oh, no, 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 no. Whispering. Nearly whispering. I said, okay. And uh, what is his real problem of the divine player? He said, it's God. He is in trouble with God. He feels that God has left him out of his uh, of his life. Uh, he he doesn't get any answer uh, when he put a question to God. No answer. He's very angry on God. His secret it's uh, it has to do with, with God, and he cannot shout about it. Said, let him go to the church and speak to God and whisper to God. As he only, only can. So he went to the church before the mass, sat there alone, and started to complain towards God, whispering, and why he was angry. So it was a very strong radio moment, and it was guided, not manipulated. No one said, 
you have to, or this man has to say this or this or this, but just trying to give a kind of dramaturgical form uh, in the storytelling and mainly uh, looking for the most radiophonic uh, stylistic ways to render the story. And this worked very well. So there are sometimes way to, ways to find a solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course.